I am Monty Heath, IT1, or actually, I guess it would be SO1 in today's standards, SO1 Heath, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our BitChute channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. So Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran-owned and operated company as well. So please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code BOONDOG10. Thanks for your time and thanks for listening. going on everybody it's bill bailey with today's boondoggle and a real quick housekeeping note uh if you're watching us on youtube or watching us on rumble please hit that follow and subscribe button if you're listening to us on whichever podcast platform you prefer please hit that follow and subscribe button uh helps us with our algorithms and uh lets us uh continue to bring you more interviews like we have today and today is a very special day because i you know it was funny we said this back in episode 100 i'm shocked that we made it 100 episodes and now here we are episode 200 of today's boondoggle and i'm you know i'm a little biased being retired navy i'm keeping it uh 
keeping it uh, sailor strong with a gentleman I had the pleasure of meeting this year at the Incarceration Music Festival, uh, Mr. Master Chief Pat o Otis. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for the warm welcome. And uh, it's great to be on here for your 200th episode with a fellow sailor. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. Uh, um, you know, and I'm I'm grateful that uh, Mr. Danny Hayes, uh, you know, was uh, kind enough to introduce us, and uh, at the uh, incarceration festival, and uh, so we were able to make this happen. Um, but before we get into how you got there and how we got there, uh, I like to go back and. Uh, get a little bit of a timeline. So like originally, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> originally, I think I wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I wasn't quite sure, you know. Um, I went to uh, high school in Millibury, Vermont. I uh, graduated 75 out of 75. So uh, the last person to graduate uh, and also followed the Grateful Dead for a couple of years. So I was just kind of uh, on a journey and I, I got really lucky um, by joining the military and specifically the Navy. Shout out to Vincent Cobbler, the partially drunk uh, sailor I met at a party who convinced me to join the Navy. Um, so uh, that's, that's kind of how I got to the Navy where I am now. Yeah, kind of, uh, you know, partially drunk and, and, and sailor kind of goes hand in hand. Um, <laughs> So like he yeah. was kind of like, uh, he kind of pointed you towards the uh, recruiting office then? Well, uh, I would say initially, so I was living in and out of the University of Vermont's uh, college girls dorm. Uh, and for those that can't see this, I'm definitely not a girl. <laughs> I had uh, a unique living situation. Um, and You're like Jack I, Tripper, huh? From Three's yeah, Company? Yeah, I'd gotten into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> And they, uh, they had made the strong recommendation that I looked at the military recruiters. And so I begrudgingly went from Middlebury, Vermont to Burlington, which is about an hour trip uh, to go see the recruiters. And, you know, I walked in and went to go talk to the Marine Corps because everyone I knew had joined the United States Marine Corps. And this guy was on the phone, just tearing someone up. And I made it about 0.3 seconds to that office. It's like, ah, that doesn't quite seem to be what I'm looking for. Uh, went to go see the Army guy. Couldn't find him anywhere in the office. Uh, and just turned around and walked out. I walked out. And uh, this guy comes walking up. And uh, he's in the uh, Johnny Cash's, which I don't know if people know what those are now. But it's a, a black tie, you know, black shirt, black pants, black core frames, white cover. Uh, and he asked me for a cigarette. And he's like, uh, he's like, oh, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm headed back to Middlebury. Uh, I was looking for the recruiters. He's like, well, you thought about joining the Navy? I was like, I don't know anything about the Navy. He's like, do you like to party? He's like, yeah, I like to party. <laughs> he's like, all right, well, let's uh, let's go inside, talk a little bit, and uh, maybe we'll go party this afternoon. I was like, okay. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the Navy became super serious right away for me. <laughs> And uh, I got lucky. Um, I wound up coming into the Navy to be a, a mess specialist. Uh, got into a little bit of trouble in boot camp and lost that opportunity. And then became a uh, gas systems mechanic. 
Uh, so I went to boot camp in 1995 at Great Lakes, Illinois. Um, at the time, I think there were three options. I didn't know there were three other options. They sound amazing compared to Great Lakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that my buddy graduated from Orlando or whatever. Or yeah. Florida. Someone got to go to San Diego. That's what I heard. My buddy, you know, he went to San Diego. He said it was nothing but, you know, beach weather <clears throat> and relaxation. Yep. I was Great Lakes so with you. So I didn't get that option. But uh, real quick, I wanted to backtrack. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, other than like living with the with the women in the in the dorms in college, what were you originally going for? Uh, to college, I didn't go to college. <laughs> oh, you were just a guest, so you weren't even going to college. No, I was completely a guest. I was doing everything that I probably shouldn't have been doing, uh, and it just didn't. It just, uh, I, I would say, I was living a pretty uh, unrestricted life. And uh, following the dead, and <laughs> yeah, doing <laughs> just just being, uh, uh, I guess, like a, a standard 18, 19 year old kind of exploring the world. Uh, didn't get myself into enough trouble not to get a security clearance, but got myself into enough trouble to get a recommendation not to be doing that anymore. So, uh, I got nice. lucky, yeah, yeah. The Navy, I, I kind of got a little bit of a similar story how you know Mm -hmm. i ended up in the navy you know uh but uh they 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 seem to embrace us just you know get on the phone with a lieutenant i promise i won't do that again you know which is just you know bs okay we'll let you in and then you know if it was drinking related and you know involved women or something it was just like it it seemed like that uh you were already you know laying the groundwork yeah (laughs) you're going places kid i was like i'm not like you don't understand. Like the cops told me to come talk to you. They're like, "Oh, we know. We have a whole bunch of you." <laughs> yeah, and we put you all on a ship in the middle of the ocean. It's gonna yeah. be great. <laughs> It'll be a good time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So then you didn't. You said you were going originally to be a mess specialist, and then yeah. got into a little bit of trouble uh, in boot camp. Um, I had apparent. I was apparently. You may have heard of this. The dude with the dude. Uh, that was me. Uh, apparently, I was also morbidly obese. You know, I joined the Navy at like 215, uh, which was apparently the max weight limit for my height. I'm like five foot eight, maybe 10 on good days. Um, and so they gave me uh, something called the green monster. You had to drink right before you weighed in, which, you know, uh, is, is definitely um, uh, weight reducing is probably a good way to describe that. And, is it similar uh, to what they give you before prostate exams? <laughs> I think it's, I think it probably or, tastes or, like or, uh, colonoscopies. colonoscopies. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more active, I'll be honest with you. I was, yeah. I was not prepared for that moment. Uh, so that would be a messy prostate exam. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. And so I wound up, uh, I wound up uh, coming in and I had to wear sweatpants most of boot camp because they're going to give you clothes that fit, you know, allegedly. Uh, and so I was the push it petty officer and every time someone had a problem, it was my problem because I got to do the PT for it. And that kind of worked then on me and, uh, me and a guy got into a little bit of a push a match, nothing serious into a little bit of a push a match. And so end of the day, it all worked out. I graduated when I was supposed to, I think I'm a better, better served at Ben being a jet engine mechanic or a gas systems mechanic. Um, it just kind of spoke to me. You know, I grew up as an electrical refrigeration contractor's kid working on job sites and, you know, it, tools make sense. So let's do that. 
and uh, I got lucky. Um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I went to A school in Great Lakes, um, which uh, was pretty cool. I mean, at the end of the day, they had something called uh, the Taste of the Chicago. I don't know if they still do it, but they have this huge like blues festival and they have food around the same time. You go downtown to Chicago and if you're a sailor, for the most part, things were like free. Yeah. Um, or maybe I forgot to pay. I don't know. I just did sailor stuff, so, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. You go out in town in your uniform back then and it was, uh, <clears throat> yeah, good time. You're a rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember I, I did my, like, uh, I was non-rate and then we did a, uh, you know, I did my school up there after boot camp and it was like, uh, we were hit some clubs out, like, I think it's something was, there was club Medusa or something. I don't know if it still existed, but it was just like, opened my eyes to a whole different alternative world. Um, you know, and, uh, that it was like creature cantina from star Wars or something walking in that place. Oh. <laughs> it was something else. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that place still exists down there or what. But it was it was a pretty good time in in uh, in Chicago. Um, and then, I mean, you had sent me like uh, your 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 resume from your like uh, when you retired and everything. And yeah. I know there was a time where um, you were part of Assault Craft Unit Five. I don't know yeah. if I'm jumping too far ahead oh, no. <laughs> in, in your timeline, but, uh, you know, that stuck out to me because I ended up being a part of Assault Craft Unit 2 here mm -hmm. in Little Creek. Yep. And uh, I know we we did some, like, cross stuff with the, with the West Coast, uh, I think ACU-1, mm -hmm. like up in Alaska and stuff like that. But what was your experience like with uh, with that unit? Man, I was so mad. Uh, and this is gonna. This may speak to some of the sailors out there, or maybe some of the people that have gone through uniform changes. So I graduated A school, and I was set to go on a ship out of Hawaii. So sounded amazing. And this is gonna come back later in my career. It was called the Benfold. The ship had just commissioned, and I was gonna go to the ship, uh, and I needed to go get good-looking dungarees. So when I graduated boot camp, we had the blue dungarees that I think everyone is pretty familiar with. Um, but you wrote everything on with a stencil or you ironed on like things like your crows, your uh, petty officer insignias. Yeah. Um, and so if you were really fancy, you would go get the fire retardant dungarees and you would have them embroider U.S. Navy and your name on your dungarees. So you, I mean, that's, that's what a squared away guy did. Yeah. And Pat Otis's opinion was, I want to be the most squared away because when I got into a little trouble in boot camp, they introduced to the idea of that if I didn't complete my contract, that local law enforcement would, was really interested in talking to me and would love to spend some time with me. Now, back to the idea that I'm five foot eight, I'm not exactly an impressive physical specimen. I don't want to be involved in any sort of local law enforcement discussions. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was like, I want to be the most squared away guy possible. So I went out and I got myself, you know, the Craspin uh, work boots. I got the coveralls the uh, um, and I got everything embroidered. 
I spent a little bit of each one of my paychecks, like the leaders told me to do, and I was stacked. So I had four pairs of Dunkarees, two pairs of coveralls. I was ready to go. So we get ready to go to Sado to go get our orders and our tickets um, because everything was physical back then. Yeah. And I go there and they're like, hey, congratulations, because you did so well in the uh, in class. You've been selected for this program called STAR. I was like, oh, okay, well, you got to go talk to chief and senior chief. So I go talk to chief and senior chief. And chief and senior chief explained to me that I get to go to this new ship called the Benfold. And I get to be, I get to go there for stay in the Navy for six years instead of four, like my original enlistment. I was like, oh, okay, what do I get out of this? Like, no, no, you get to go to a ship, like a really new ship right away. And that's your thing. I was like, that's dumb. All the other dudes are getting advanced. I was like, I want to get advanced. Like, they're not going to advance you. I was like, well, I'm not going. Like, well, you don't want to go to a ship? I was like, no, but like, you're not going to be a sailor in our Navy. You're going to the LCACs. I was like, what's an LCAC? They're like, exactly. Get the out of here. <laughs> so they changed my tickets and my orders to go to Camp Pendleton, California, ACU-5. And ACU-5 is, at the time, was um, is, is completely different than the average Navy. Um, it is a hovercraft, which moves Marine Corps equipment to and from the beach at a high rate of speed. It's got four gas turbine engines, two small generators, um, and it looks nothing like anything that you've done in A school, to include getting an M16, to getting fatigue, uh, you know, camis, to learning how to rucksack march, to camping outside. Uh, yeah. And I was so mad that I went there, you know, initially. Um, but ACU5 was pretty amazing at the end of the day. I did a total of six years there, um, and it was awesome. I mean, I got to go see the world. I had probably the best duty section ever as a junior sailor. We had um, Watch Standards Liberty. Mind you, we bitched about it. Every 13 days, we had to do Watch Standards Liberty. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a four-hour watch every 13 days. Not in yeah. our dress uniforms, in our camis. And it was usually riding around in a pickup truck in the back back 40 of the um, compound, making sure that nothing happened to the LCACs. So it was pretty much a rover watch in a pickup truck. Nice, nice. I remember like, you know, uh, my time in, in uh, ACU2 Cleveland, you know, Saltcraft mm -hmm. unit, um, they they quickly changed the names on, on, on uh, Drill weekends and ATs to alcohol consumption unit. Yes. And <laughs> so there was a lot of time we we played hard, you know, or where we worked hard, but we also played hard, you know. And uh, like you were saying, I mean, for us, I was with the Mike Eight boat, so mm -hmm. ours didn't go as fast, mm -hmm. but we would haul equipment and you know troops over and drop the ramp and and all that stuff. But when on the reserve side, it was kind of nice. Because we would take, oh, well, we're taking the boats out for, uh, you know, basic maintenance or whatever. Get out of the reserve center, take the boats out, and then we'd be, oh, we're going to do swim quals, you know, drop the ramp and just basically have a little steel beach picnic on drill oh, weekends and stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, when we did the the ATs and the, it, you know, we would do like the mock, like 
set up camps with the CBs and, mm-hmm. you know, all that fun stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny, you know, in, until I joined the Navy, like I didn't really drink that much. Uh, I mean, I probably had like one or two beers my entire life, you know, and really kind of my concept coming into it was, you know, people underage that got busted drinking, they told on people all the time. So I just I was like, just, I'm not going to get told on. So I'm not going to do that. And the military, you know, uh, is definitely, I don't know if it was around, it wasn't around when I first came in, but they had this video called the first 72 hours um, that I got to see later as a senior guy um, teaching us about command sponsorship and making sure you take care of the person. The first time I got picked up by my command for ACU five, I was at the barracks um, and the guy next to me comes out of the barracks room. He's like, Hey, you like aftershock? I was like, I don't know what that is. He's like, Oh, it's cinnamon flavored alcohol. I was like, I mean, I'll, I'll try it. And so I take a swig of it. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Take a little bit more. He's like, you know, you, we'll share this totally. And so it tastes like uh, cinnamon, cinnaburst gum is probably the best way to describe it, which I still can't chew because of this day. <laughs> 24 hours later, I wake up missing my dress blue top, my white hat, and my left shoe. And someone's screaming at me because I'm in a drainage ditch with like four other people at nine o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like, what happened? And uh, no. yeah. And so party hard. It was definitely one of our, uh, I think, tenants. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember uh, like I had a similar experience in Italy when I first got exposed to Jägermeister cool. and uh, I was halfway in. Uh, it was a nice set up a nice marble floor uh really nice bar or whatever and uh bar restaurant and i'm halfway in the the men's room and halfway in the marble floor hallway (laughs) in a pile of my own puke with some dude standing over me yelling at me in italian you know so yeah (laughs) the smell of it to this day will still like turn my stomach you know for sure i've been permanently scarred from cinnamon so i mean (sighs) i noticed too that uh on your uh, time, you 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 served in Okinawa. Yeah, I got uh, I got a pretty cool opportunity. Um, so initially, I had uh, I'd go, went from gas systems mechanic to master at arms, and um, I did well in the class. <laughs> Another story of doing well in the class. I hope I don't dissuade anybody from doing any good in the Navy classes because they allegedly award you. Uh, but it's only with the stuff they have available. So that needs to be said, I think. And they're like, hey, we've got all these great opportunities in San Diego. You know, I was like, oh, great. I can stay in California. This will be great. And uh, they're like, well, unfortunately, you know, you're, you did really well. And they need a top performer in Okinawa, Japan. And I was like, but I thought I got pick of the orders. Like, oh, you get pick of the orders that we offer you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And they're like, we're offering you Okinawa, Japan. I was like, cool. What else is available? They're like, so about Okinawa, <laughs> and uh, I got to go to Okinawa, Japan, uh, and you know, this is this is like two thousand three ish, and just to put into conception, or, or not into conception, in in into the discussion, is that it was less than a hundred years ago that during World War II and the Pacific Theater push, we were firebombing this country. And people were coming up 
through White Beach, Okinawa, where I was stationed, and battling intensely. Families were holding hand in hand and jumping off uh, cliffs in Katsura um, to avoid the ravages of war. So just, just to put that into concept, I landed in Okinawa, Japan, uh, and my sponsor um, basically showed up at the wrong airport. So you can show up at Kadena, or you can show up at the civilian airport. I flew into the civilian airport, and that's where they didn't show up. So I had to figure out how to get from there to Kadena, knowing zero Japanese, not understanding any of the symbology, and having a very, very basic concept of where I was going. So I'm, you know, walking around basically begging people to help me, and they do. They, in fact, help me. Like a person got me on a bus. Uh, paid for my ticket to go to Kadena, rode with me up to Kadena and got me off the bus and walked me basically to the gate through Gate 2 Street, if you're familiar with the area. And then, you know, helped communicate with the MLC, the neighbor, ma the master labor contractor, the Okinawan Guard, to contact the Air Force so the Air Force could come get me and they could contact my command. So just to put that in a concept, the people of the country were humble, considerate, and kind. And it was an amazing experience. I ran a marathon while I was there. Uh, I got to have tea with the Master of Tea Ceremony of Japan. Uh, I got to work in the local community uh, at um, shelters, uh, helping um, senior citizens. Uh, the healthcare system is a little bit different in Japan but helping seniors uh, have a normally structured life, um, get books, um, go get food, those type of things. So it was a pretty amazing experience uh, in Japan, in Okinawa in specifically. And if anyone has the opportunity to travel there, I can't recommend it enough. It is absolutely beautiful. And the people are warm, friendly, and kind. Yeah, I, I've always kind of wanted to... <clears throat> make a trip out there because uh you know you mentioned about you know the ravages of war there my father was a part of that he was a, a marine in world war ii and um you know he was he was on on that island in that and he didn't you know he didn't like talking a lot about it you know until actually he started opening up after my my last deployment before i retired from the navy uh, a little bit before he passed but uh yeah, it I, definitely uh, sounded like hell on earth over there. You know, it did, it did. You know, and there's a there's a couple really good books um, that kind of talk to a little bit of each side of it, uh, and it, it doesn't take much to search on the Pacific Theater and um, and get some get some good literature to read. I think it just just generally is good literature. I will give you this one note though, and this is travel advice. Now, Bill, I know you don't drink. Um, but this is for anyone that else decides to go out there. Is there something called habusaki out there? To be clear, it has got a poisonous snake and it is stuck inside of liquor, uh, sake, and it's preserved inside there. It is a very exciting thing for locals and for visitors to give a try. Um, my advice to you is that you just say, great, that's a great looking snake inside of a um, liquor container because it tastes 
just like a bathroom at a hospital smells. So you don't need to have the experience. It's about the equivalent of drinking a Jack Daniels. Do one of those. Habusaki, not good. Yeah, let's don't go that path. Yeah, have a Jack Daniels, less poisonous uh, <laughs> snake. snake. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and now another uh <clears throat> Uh, duty station I, I definitely wanted to ask you about was uh i'd seen that you did some time in, in gitmo oh yeah for sure you want to uh, talk about that a little bit yeah whatever so, you're allowed to say about it <laughs> for sure um so i was part of a navy expeditionary guard battalion um we were part of the group that took over the uh haitian detention facilities and then brought in what everyone knows now is Navy Expeditionary Guard Battalion uh, Gitmo, uh, where the detainees uh, were held uh, based on a couple principles at the time. This is in late 2003, and so you had to be directly connected to the act of terrorism on September 11th. You were responsible for training or uh, aiding uh, financially that act for people that were part of that group. And then finally, you could not be held due to your intelligence level um, at other facilities. So you were held there. And there's a whole lot of legal mumble jumbo that's kind of associated with all this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, countries gave the United States people that they felt fit these standards. And then they wouldn't take them back. So kind of like you're going through the store uh, and you've picked up the free candy. Once you pick it up, you can't put it back, right? Like you're stuck with it. And until you can figure out how to deal with it, you're stuck with it. And so during that time frame, there was a something called uh, the commissions. Uh, and those were trials designed to provide some sort of legal status for the detainee and then find a way to off-ramp them. Are they going to be held against crimes against the United States or other countries? If it's other countries, then we have to turn them over to other countries. So that was kind of the uh, group of stuff that went on in Navy Expeditionary Guard Battalion. Now the island of Cuba, the area that I was at, uh, I can't again... I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about the amazing uh, diving out there. If you've never been diving, um, I think that area, Cuba, Jamaica, it's got to be amazing to see. I know Cuba was pretty beautiful. You got to do a lot of scuba diving. Nice. <clears throat> now, that sounds kind of like, I don't know, you know, like you, so you got to trust these other countries and their judi judicial system or lack thereof that said, these guys are bad. And we're sending them to you, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, and then with the language barrier and stuff, it's like, you know, you got to wonder like how many of them may have really been bad guys or just people that that country didn't want to deal with, you know, for sure. So that, you know, that comes into a lot of it, you know, um, not, not to mention the, you know, humane treatment, you know, in following uh, basic human rights, Geneva Convention stuff. And you start looking at all those things, and that's that's pretty hard uh, at the end of the day on people, um, and of course the people experience it. So it, there's there's a lot of struggle there, you know, with people coming in and out of that 
uh, environment. Um, we took over from the army. Um, and so there's a lot of policy differences between the army and the Navy. Obviously at the Joint Chief Staff, there's two different branches for yeah. two different reasons. And I, I think you go back to the idea of like, secure the building. I'm sure you've all heard the joke of secure the building, right? For the sure. army, the Navy. Um, and, and that really kind of comes down to a really good example of, of the idea. You know, when you say secure the building for the Navy, they are talking about closing the door, locking it and walking away. You say that to the army and they are talking about clearing and sweeping it and probably posting um, entrance and exit points and exfil areas with overwatches, you know? So um, those type of transitions are, are challenging. And I would say I got the opportunity to experience that. Um, wasn't bad, wasn't the worst place to be. I can imagine a lot worse places to be. Gotcha. And then um, I saw, I wanted to ask you one more and then I wanted to get into, uh, you know, some of the other questions I asked uh, veterans on here. There was a, well, I wanted to ask about like uh, your, I mean, you know, coming in the way you came in and, you know, doing your time, like adapting and obviously excelling because not everybody makes it to the rank of master chief. That's like the high, you know, for enlisted, that's as high as it gets. Um, how did that, uh, when did things start changing for you? And then as, as you were go as you were in where you were just like, I'm going to take this Navy thing, I'm going to own it and I'm going to be the best that I could be in there. Uh, so, so great question. Um, so I was on my first deployment, uh, with the LCACs, uh, and I was coming back and I was, I had the option of basically re-enlisting or not re-enlisting and, you know, off-ramping after four years. And so I, <laughs> dating myself for sure, I sent letters home, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to talk to my dad, who was an electrical refrigeration contractor. Uh, and I asked him, you know, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting out of the Navy. Um, like, I don't, I don't know what to do next. I know I have some college opportunities. I can go to college. Um, what, you know, what are the thoughts? You know, what, what, what could I come back? Because my idea was I was going to come back to Vermont. What could I come back and do to Vermont where I could be productive and do all that stuff? And, you know, his letter back to me at the end of the day was like, hey, don't come back to Vermont. Uh, your, your old habits are still here. You have to find new habits in a new life. It seems like you've already started down that, that path. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, that to me, I was like, man, I thought maybe he would like invite me to come work for him or something along those lines. You know, I got to, man, I got to figure out this own st my stuff on my own. Like I got to adult. Huh. <laughs> uh, and then I, you know, my senior chief at the time, Brian Lanier, was like, hey, so what's the game plan after the Navy? I was like, I don't know. He's like, what's the game plan in the Navy? I was like, uh, I don't know. He's like, well, you're a second class petty officer. Uh, you made second class fairly quick. He's like, you should maybe consider giving this a go. Uh, uh, okay. I mean, like, I didn't have any reason not to. Like, I didn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. Um, the most exciting thing I had in my life was a 19 and a half, 1986 and a half Nissan hard body pickup truck that had been airbagged. 
<laughs> like, I mean, so so I decided to stay. And then um, I decided that I wanted to make uh, more money and kind of change my environment. And the only way to do that was to get serious, like, you know, study for the advancement exams, um, do the jobs that people may not want to do or go to the locations that people didn't want to go to and do well there. Uh, and so that shift um, was what got me to, uh, I would say, making first class. And then I had uh, a guy by the name of Mike Haas um, who started asking me questions and made me the LPO uh, because I listened to the sailors and I asked them questions about what they saw we could do better and how I could help them. Um, and he said, well, you can't train caring, but you can train all the other stuff. And all the other stuff you suck at. You are the worst admin person I've ever met in my life. Uh, so he was a real sweetheart of a person. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, those that type of influence um, set me on a path to, you know, get opportunities. Um, being placed in charge of, you know, large departments and uh, challenging positions is kind of the, the thing that we do in the Navy, or I would say in the military for success, you know, you're not really promoted on your ability to do what you're doing next, but what they think everyone what everyone thinks you can do next. And I was a, a guy that you're not going to outwork me. That's just not going to happen. I, I may be the dumbest guy in the room and I may have to spend 16 to every one of your one hours to do something, I will go weeks without sleep trying to get better. And that's, you know, that's, that's very much rewarded in the military, I think. So that's what yeah, made me, yeah, for sure. made me successful I, in that initial position when I made chief. And then uh, everything else is learning that your job is to develop the neck, the rank junior to you. And if you're focusing on trying to develop yourself for the next rank, you're doing it wrong and yep. you won't get rewarded. And and if people could obtain that, I think, as a first class or as a chief and really envision that that development, it's challenging. I really do understand it's challenging. I think we would have a lot, not so much more success with people making rank because that comes down to numbers and opportunities, but I think we would have a stronger um, force of subject matter experts. We'd have a larger pool of people that were really good at their job opposed to the 10 or 15 that you see in a command typically. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and one thing I've noticed too during my time, uh, a lot of the people that uh, you'd mentioned that, you know, that senior chief having to talk with you, you know, when you're a second class, like what, what, what's next? Um, a lot of, the guys that I've seen that have grown in the ranks that have become successful is because of some of the guys that are already above them that started um, feeding into them and mentoring them, so to speak, and kind of pointing them in the, in the right direction. And that's what, you know, they teach us why they're helping us. They're also like showing us that when we get there, then that's our job to do for the people that come below us. I remember when I made first class, you know, my, my uh, LPO was just like, it's mission men, me, you know, mm -hmm. you come last, you take care, the mission gets done first, you take care of your people. And then, you know, it's no longer about, you know, like from second class to, you know, from first class below, you know, it's like, all right, how can I get advanced? But once you get in that leadership position, it's like, 
it becomes about your people. That's for sure. <clears throat> so like how many of those influences did you have along the way that kind of like, I mean, it sounded like you had, had some positive ones and some negative ones, like how not to be like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think one of the things, and I use this as an example, um, if, if you went on a school trip, typically you don't remember much about that school trip unless something bad happens. And it, I mean, there may be some highlights, but it becomes a lot more interesting to your mind when bad things happen. So I think people innately probably learn more from bad actions than they do good actions. Not always. I, I recognize people are different, but I see more often than not, someone is quicker to learn by seeing a bad action than not. And I had some bad actors in my career, but the reality of it is, is I had some people that made it very, very much a point to explain to me that they were not the best person, but they were here if I needed assistance. And I had mm. to challenge that relationship to develop it. Um, and I got really lucky in a, in a couple of them, people that just gave me really, really solid advice. Um, and, you know, one of them was uh, Mike, Mike Haas. You know, as I got older, as I became uh, a command master chief, I had a guy by the name of Todd Steele, who has been long since retired, um, who gave me general, I would say, command advice. He had a couple of years, a couple of tours as a command master chief. Most of his time, though, was as a HTCM. So it was good advice as in he had um, internal department uh, experience on a nuclear uh, carrier. So it was, he had a lot of people, uh, which was really good. Uh, and then I had uh, influences, I would say, outside of the Navy that were pretty good um, by reaching out, interacting with some coaches. Um, I started trying to interact with the Chargers coach uh, to get a little bit of advice. Uh, and I uh, got a little couple of tidbits of like how to talk to a large team, which made me really think about it. And then uh, I got lucky with my dad uh, who gave me some really hard advice um, and caused me to make some pretty drastic changes uh, as I went. But the most important group of people that probably helped me make things happen, and it's gonna sound a little unusual, but it, it was the junior sailors. The mm. junior sailors that were bold enough and had enough confidence in themselves, and I thought may or may not had a connection with me, but willing to test, and came down and sat and told me something. And I would get blown away, I mean, all the time, blown away by some of the things they would say, not because they were offensive, but because they were unvarnished and they helped so much. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with a young junior officer who had been explaining to me how when she was on the bridge, she had discovered that there was a, um, a rating system uh, amongst the um, people on the bridge of who was a better looking female officer than the others. And, and, and I mean, it sounds like, again, somewhat ha-ha funny, but, or somewhat natural, but then you start talking about it and how it created such a, um, a standoff group. Um, and then more groups from there just continue to bridge off and become further and further apart. And that's not what you want when you want when you have a war fighting team. And yeah. 
you know, I, I mean, that type of division on the surface um, is problematic for, you know, Simeo surveys and stuff like that. But it can become really granular really quick. Um, you know, and the only way usually to fix those type of things is really to work it out through some some sort of, I don't want to say trauma-focused event, but some sort of intense environment to kind of remove those things and to have those type of discussions. And I don't think we want to put everyone through war uh, to have that type of an effective team. So junior sailors uh, at the end of the day were probably my biggest asset. Uh, and they probably taught me the most. Um, I remember one of them was explaining to me like the best thing I could possibly be is myself. Like being Pat Otis with the sailors is going to be the most honest thing I can do. Like I'm not up to speed on Instagram and Twitter and all the other stuff. Like this is just not, not where I'm at, you know, and trying to get into that stuff that I really don't have an interest in is fake. And nobody is willing to have a relationship with someone that is fake or surface. They're only yeah. going to have a surface relationship. But what do you really want from a leader? You want a leader that knows what's going on with you and is able to provide you with the push or pull or compliment or concern with what you need to be the most successful. That's what you want from a leader. And when you're fake, you can't do those things. So, you know, that junior, junior sailor's advice of like, I mean, you're you're just not hip. Like you don't understand what we're into. Don't be into it. Just be you be into what you're into and be excited to talk to us about what we're into. Not, not try to be into what we're into. And I was like, I really appreciate that. Now get your hands out of your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, man, you said a lot there that I uh, wanted to try and touch on, but you know, the importance of uh, those little handling those little issues that cause division because it's like we can't be a fully functioning unit especially in wartime you know when we have these clicks when we have these divisions and it's almost like you know i mean example of where we're at as a country right now you know there's so much so much that's being put out there to divide us instead of like what brings us together as americans and it, you know you talk about you know we don't want trauma we don't really want trauma based stuff or war to, to unite us again. But I remember, you know, September 12th in 2001, you know, after, after we got attacked, everybody was proud to be an American and seen, mm -hmm. you know, never forget. And it's like, you know, a lot of people seem to have forgot and then some, you know, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I also like that you, you uh, talked to the, uh, what was it? The Rams football coach uh, chargers chargers. And, uh, you know, to get some advice. Cause I, I mean, you know, I, I just, I retired at first class. So it's like, I mean, the only, I maybe, you know, ran a shop or a boat crew on an LCM eight at certain times. So I didn't have the opportunity to get up there and have to lead over bigger groups. I had just small, you know, small group of individuals that I got to invest in and know. And like you said, they taught me as well, but, um, I could see how that would be great advice when you're running a whole command to kind of go uh, pick the pick the brain of a of a head coach of a football team, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, what 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 did you learn from him that helped with uh, run, being a command master chief? 
So uh, interestingly enough, his discussion to me was uh, he has a lot of assistance. Um, and that's what he's there for. He's there to help the assistants achieve their goals. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, at the time, you know, Ryan Leaf, <laughs> so we got to think about how long ago this was, Ryan Leaf, right, quarterback. Um, he's not giving him, he's giving him like way top discussion, but his quarterback coach is giving Ryan Leaf the intensive, information that he needs to make the adjustment. And so his discussion in very short terms was, uh, I believe that I can only run six people. I can only be in charge of six people. So he set himself up in a sense of he was interactive, very direct with six people. And then those people, they had six people that they were very directly interactive with. Now to say that he didn't have any idea who was on the team is ridiculous. But the idea is, is that that he was able to focus his energy on six people and be very productive with it. And he had to get people to adapt to that, to be the most successful with the time they have. Because realistically, that's what we all have, right? Um, It's not him that said it, but at the end of the day, you can't outwork a, you you can't outwork that idea of time. Time is forever. Right. And it's 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 always taking away from you. So you have to make the most efficiency or the maximum amount of benefit from your time. And that's why I think in his discussion, he used six people because he knew he could be concentrated for whatever six people's worth of time was to him to be the most effective. Um, So I I tried to kind of keep that philosophy through uh, my time in, in a command position was to focus on you know, the six departments. Sometimes it was five, sometimes it was six, sometimes it was a little bit more. Um, and then unfortunately I'd have to short stroke some time with those people to give them what I thought was the best I could give them. Um, but Yeah, I remember uh, you know, always being uh, thrown around, delegate, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Cause it, you know, uh, I, one thing we say in recovery too, is like, how do you, you know, uh, eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time, you know, we get caught up. Like there's, I, I noticed that where the morale was bad during my time in was when there was micromanagers, you know, that had to be, you know, every detail of everything, almost like, you know, just it, it just it, it it wasn't fun, but when they when you had good leadership that would delegate and they could stay kind of like in a in a cool mindset because uh, mm-hmm. they knew that their team under them would handle things. And if it if it if anything ever had to like reach reach you, then it had to be something that was serious that had to be dealt with, you know, obviously. But most of the time, there's probably so much things that never reached you that you weren't aware of that were handled and nipped in the bud right away. Cause you had your team and they knew how to handle their teams. And yeah, the, the, I think that environment of trust and really what I see and what I hear when I hear people say there was a lot of micromanagement, I mean, there's obviously two sides to everything at the end of the day, but there, there has to be a lack of trust or a lack of understanding or lack of communication. So usually I boil it down to communication. I have found 
in my experience, most people want to be successful. Like most people don't like sucking. Like they, they don't, you know what I mean? Um, And now they're sucking maybe a result of a lot of bad decisions. You know what I mean? They still don't want to continue to suck. Like they want improvement. Um, And most people are asking for that. And then in the case of micromanagement, usually what I find is that people either don't understand how to achieve the goals or they don't understand what the goals are or they don't align with the goals or there's just some sort of issue in that manner. Um, And it takes some understanding. And the unfortunate part of that is that many people don't invest in developing themselves outside of the most basic leadership training that we get. So what happens is you identify with the leadership style or you see someone that's got a successful leadership style, I think as a junior person, and then you're like, that's it. That's the one I'm gonna use. I'm gonna be the screaming knife hand guy, or I'm gonna be the, uh, it's okay, come into chief's office, chief will do all your work for you guy, or you know, we're just gonna try to not take any task on guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so they, they don't really work on a process to become better at how to express their leadership shortcomings or needs. And so when they start micromanaging, um, the junior in the case that's getting micromanaged usually doesn't have a way to reflect back to that leader. I need these things so you don't micromanage me and I don't want you to micromanage me. I want to accomplish your goals so you can go on and do other stuff. And, um, I think that takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of time together. And I don't think all those things happen very often in the Navy. Um, I think it just becomes a big challenge. And I'm hoping to see that we get better at it. Um, But I don't think it's going to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I I, I remember when I, and, and, you know, we we got it, we definitely got to get to, to, uh, you know, the other reasons why we, we, uh, were connected here, but Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, talking with, uh, when I got a chance to meet, uh, Danny Wimmer at incarceration and talking with him briefly and mentioning meeting you and saying, man, you know, telling them like, you guys got to realize what you have here, you know? Um, cause this is, uh, you don't make, you know, not everybody makes master chief or command master chief. So you got a guy, you got upper management here, uh, leadership, and uh, I see you doing well. So I was putting in, trying to put in some good words for you when I was talking with them. Um, but real quick, before we get to that, I want to ask you a couple of questions I normally ask veterans on here. Um, some of the oddest things that you uh, witnessed or experienced while serving. Huh. And I'm sure with your career, there's plenty. <laughs> uh yeah, so I think the oddest thing that I have witnessed was um, my first duty station uh, at Camp Pendleton, California. And if you've ever seen the wildest police chases videos, I don't know if those are still popular. <laughs> they have the one where there's a tank that is out driving on the freeway, right? That tank is from Camp Pendleton, California. And a reservist hopped into the tank at an unguarded you know, uh, area and took the tank out the back gate of Camp Pendleton, California. Um, so that happened about two years, I think it was, before I got to Camp Pendleton. And they had created something called the 21 Area Guard, which was a uh, full-time patrol 
uh, and basically stood watch on something. So we would go TAD to 21 area guard um, for six months on a six month rotation if you were E4 and junior. Um, each person would do probably about one or two tours with them. So about a total of a year for your four year tour if you stayed E4 or junior. Um, and so I got to go over there and do a tour and we were up for 48 hours on post. And the weirdest thing I've ever seen anyone do was hand me a bottle of hot sauce and say, just put one drop in your eye. It's how we stay awake out here. So that was probably <laughs> the oddest thing that I've seen um, for sure. Um, and wow. then I, uh, I, yeah, that was super odd. So I never thought I'd be in a point where I'm taking a dab of hot sauce and basically putting it in my eye to stay awake. Uh, so, I mean, you, 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 were you like, Hey, you show me how to do it first. Oh, for you sure. Know? Okay. <laughs> for sure. I was going to say it. Cause I, like, I remember the tricks they would play on the junior guys when you, when oh, you first for sure. come in, you know, but, yeah. uh, that, that seems pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll just go ahead. You go first. And like in the next couple hours, if I'm tired, I'll go. He's like, oh, okay. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> Zero chances. Wow. <laughs> and then um, out of all the places that you were, and I know I didn't get to go over all of them, but what would you say was your worst place that you served? Uh, worst place. So I think each place that I've been to has had a very, 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 very hard moment. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that's probably the thing that I key on. Um, and uh, I think probably the hardest place that I've been to, and it was some of the challenges that were presented to me, would be probably Expeditionary uh, Guard Battalion, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Um, there are very, very hard hours, very physically and mentally demanding. Um, and I, I think realistically at the end of the day, it was probably the most, the cha most challenging part of my job was that just trying to get back to normal so I can go back to work the next day. And, uh, that was, that sucked. Yeah. Gotcha. And then what was one of the best places? Oh, that's super easy. Um, so I wound up becoming the command master chief of the USS Benfold, uh, which was the ship that I was supposed to go on when yeah. I became a GSM. Uh, and when that opportunity arose, I was on it. And so we transferred the ship. It's called the Homeport Shift from California to Yokosuka, Japan. So it went from San Diego to Yokosuka, Japan, which was awesome. The reason that it was the most favorite thing ever was, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have, been out in the middle of the ocean at night with all the lights of the ship off. And you get to watch the sky and the moon above you and the, it and is satellites <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing yeah. and there's also a phenomenon um and it's with algae and the algae becomes phosphorus so it glows so it glows in this case it glows blue so we are breaking water as we're going from san diego to japan and this phosphorus is glowing and it literally looks like the, the waves have got LEDs in them uh, as they're coming off the ship. And it just, it's amazing. So um, super, super amazing experience. And it's something I think will be burned in my mind forever. 
Nice. And, and I like how, uh, and you did mention that at the beginning, you know, how everything came full circle, you know, that it was supposed to be what your originally your first orders. Yeah. And then, uh, then you came back and like, okay, I, I'll take those orders, but only when I'm, when I'm running it, huh? Yeah, apparently <laughs> super lucky, super lucky. Nice. And what is one of your pet peeves, uh, for, uh, civilians since transitioning out of the military? Hey, hey baby. baby, this is this Double, Double D, D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I gotta tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Boondoggle. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, Dream Nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, protein, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran-owned and operated company today, and today's Boondoggle fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code Boondog10 at checkout. That's B-O-O-N-D-O-G-10 at checkout. So go to the link. That's dreamnutrition.com forward slash discount forward slash Boondog10. And remember, dream is not spelled like dream daddy. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them Dream Daddy and your friends from today's Boondog sent you. Um, well, I think one of my pet peeves is the idea that I have some sort of direct connection to whichever political affiliation they want to talk to me about. Like, oh, you're in the military? And like, it seems like they jump right into some sort of uh, political alignment discussion or anything along those lines. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I didn't show up to work because of uh, a political alignment. My goal was to show up to work, one, to provide for my family and then to protect my family that I am serving with. And, uh, it cheapens the sacrifices that the people have made for me and I've made for them when it, when it feels like it's a, I'm doing it for some sort of other ulterior motive. Um, I don't think people mean harm by it. I just, I just don't think they understand the action of those words. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, completely. It's like, I've experienced quite a bit of that myself and, you know, or just, you know, I mean, if, if you have all your limbs, but you experience some trauma in the military and they wonder like, Oh, how are you disabled or whatever? You know, sure. it's like people, uh, people make a lot of assumptions, but you know, going back to what you said, it's like, I didn't, you know, raise my right hand and take the oath to, you know, uh, support and defend our constitution for just, you know, this group of people, 
you know, mm -hmm. these other ones you can have, you know, no, it was for all yeah. Americans, you right. know, it, and, and that's, you know, I, I still take that out serious and I've been, you know, retired a number of years now, you mm -hmm. know, um, and speaking of, uh, stuff that we carry, what is something that you will always carry, uh, with you from your time of service? Uh, I, I think the real understanding of sacrifice, um, whether it could be someone for very real being broken um, physically or mentally or however you want to say that to move the mission forward, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be a sacrifice as a father, but the sacrifices that each person is making and, and to hold the idea that there is another perspective is the thing that I'm going to take with me from my experiences in the military is just because I have this experience and this is my perspective on it doesn't mean it's the only experience it's the only perspective. Um, so my time in service has taught me that perspective, really what that word means. Great. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then what's one of the funniest stories you feel you can share from your time in service? The funniest times I can share from my time in uh, service. Uh, well, um, so for all those, you know, soft intel guys, um, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. Um, it's just, I, I don't know if I don't have the attention span for it or I don't have the time for it, but whatever it works out is I don't do a lot of it. Uh, so we were moored up in San Diego on the USS Benfold, a DDG. And next to us was a ship <clears throat> that was being used as part of a show called The Last Ship. Oh, yeah, uh, I watched that. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> I've never watched the show. And so at the time, because we were transiting to Japan, I lived on the ship, as did a good majority of the crew members, uh, we were in the final processes of departing. And so they told us next door that there was a movie production company working on with the, with the Navy Yard doing It's Your Ship or The Last Ship or something, 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 and that we would see, you know, unusual activity on the pier, but the watches would make sure that we were safe and we didn't go off when we were supposed to blah, blah, blah. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, okay, got it, whatever. We're doing damage control drills today. That's what I'm worried about. Blah, 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 blah. So we go through damage control drills and we get off, get done with it. And it's probably like oh, 18, 1900. And I'm walking off the ship with the um, XO at the time. And uh, there's this guy walking down the pier with a couple other guys. And he doesn't have his cover on. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, this guy doesn't have his cover on, man. And as I'm getting closer, he, uh, it's a command master chief. I'm like, what is going on? And like the guys behind him, their uniforms are not quite right. Like they, they just, like they don't quite make sense. And <laughs> before this XO can say anything, like I zig over to talk to the command master chief. I was like, hey, what's up, brother? And the guy kind of looks at me, he's like, what? I was like, hey, brother. I was like, hey, man. I was like, I know you don't have your cover on. I was like, but your guys behind you, you've got some kind of like, fucked up looking uniforms. We have an inspection team over here and I don't want him to come over your ship and light your ass up. 
So like, can I help you at all? And he's just looking at me. He's like, looking at me like I was crazy. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, man, I'm trying to I'm like, I'm getting closer. I'm like, I'm trying to help you out right now. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, man. Like we've got forces, you know, inspection team over here doing damage control drills. They're going to, you're going to get into some trouble, bro. Like you need to get your shit together. And he's like, well, I, I was like, all right, bro. I was like, I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, like, fine. You don't want to, you don't want fucking help. And I walk off and the ex was like, he's laughing. I was like, I was like, I'm sorry. I was kind of embarrassed because I should have better control of my emotions. I, I was like, I'm sorry. Like, he's like, he's like, you realize you just yelled at an actor, actor, right? I was like, no, I, what do you, an actor? What are you talking about? And he's like, your last ship, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, the movie production thing. He's like, that's the ma actor. I was like, they have him dressed up as a command master chief. He's like, have you not seen the show? I was like, I don't fucking. <laughs> so the next day, the next day I'm on, um, we just finished damage control drills and um, I can't remember what we were doing. Um, we were doing something near the quarter deck and they call away um, or they ring on a captain on the ship. And basically the rule is, is that like someone rings a captain, like an 06 on board an 05 ship, the CO needs to be there now. And that shouldn't be unannounced. So myself and the captain and the XO kind of look at each other like, what's going on? And we all basically beeline for the quarterdeck. Well, it's the captain uh, who I think it's a, a captain who's apparently the actor on It's Your Last Ship, you know, or Last Ship, whatever the show is called. Uh, <laughs> I think his nickname is like Big Steamy or, or something like that. And so they ring him on board, announce him, and, you know, my commanding officer is super happy to see him. My XO is super happy to see him. The command master chief's there. They're all super happy. I'm like, I thought that you said this guy was an actor. He's like, yeah, he's an actor too. I fucking lost my mind. I was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they have these photos of me sitting there, and the entire time I am just mother effing this guy with my eyes. I'm just like, <laughs> like, shake his hand. I'm like, mm, 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 mm. oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Yes. I, it's funny too. Now you kind of just ruined it for me a little bit because I like I actually watched that. I gave that show a shot, and uh, I, I I I ended up enjoying it. Like they there was a lot of the traditions in there, especially when uh, you know uh, they lost a few guys in, in battle and stuff. And you know it was like I was like, man, this is like so spot on. But I I, I guess I didn't notice the 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 any of the issues with the uniforms and stuff, you know, as much, but yeah, uh, they're small they, and, and they actually had a lot of sailors as actors in there as extras. Um, our operations yeah. officer was a corpsman for a whole bunch of episodes and they did a really good job. I mean, the reality of it is, is like I said in the beginning is that I don't watch a lot of TV and I was just not focused on anything outside of we're going to do damage control drills. We're going to be really good at these damage control drills. So we got to do this, and I just ignored the rest of it. They talked about it endlessly. They had it playing on the TV. I didn't watch any <laughs> of this stuff. I ignored it. Yeah, and then, uh, like, I mean, everything I I thought was pretty, pretty spot on, except for the fact every time there was some like dangerous mission, like the CO and XO were like going in together, like they're yeah. part of like some attack force team, and like that would never happen. <laughs> you know, we don't send our senior leadership all together in harm's sure. way, you know, but, uh, 
it, it was a pretty it was a pretty interesting show but that's pretty funny i can imagine uh um you know <laughs> what those guys were going through and how much they were laughing and joking about it at lunch that oh, day sure. after you tore into them <laughs> sure i'm sure <laughs> and then um what is uh what you say is one of your greatest hopes for our country that you were willing to give your life for? Uh, so the thing that I am most honored to do is to die in battle, uh, and not to strike into Odinism or, or a religious discussion by any means, but the idea that I have been challenged to go forward and protect for a real thing, a real purpose, real process, uh, is is the thing that I you know had signed up for. Uh, and I hope at the end of the day that every person has their ability to communicate their needs in an environment that will at least hear their needs. They don't have to act on them, but can at least hear them. And that's what I consider being free. That you, you have an environment to express that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, we can't grow together and learn from each other. If, if, if somebody's saying something we don't agree with and we automatically just silence them, there's no communication. There's no conversation. We have to be willing to listen. And like you said, we don't have to agree, but we got to come to the table and maybe learn that find what our common ground is. And we can't without communication. You know, mm-hmm. agree. I agree, hundred percent. And what do you feel we can do to uh, break the stigma of mental health and PTSD? So I think talking about it uh, is probably one of the the best things we can do. Um, Pat Otis's opinion, not to be confused with the Department of Defense or the Department of the Navy's uh, policies, uh, is is very much that. And um, one of the things I work towards discussing. Uh, with people is, you know, mental health and learning how to identify needs of a mental health and not just shoving it off. So right now, um, mental health is a big discussion amongst all mental health providers, both civilian, inside the Navy or inside the military, inside the DOD enterprise, outside. And there's uh, many foundations uh, that are here to help and are willing to help and just learning how to connect with them. So inside the Navy, of course, you have Fleet and Family Support, which has uh, counselors on staff to assist. They don't have all the counselors they need because it's very difficult to get people into those positions. It's just, it's a challenge. There's a shortage. Uh, And then else after that, you have traumatic type um, trauma focused therapy, and you know the emergency rooms that are major hospitals or military hospitals, um, and they're short-staffed too. Uh, and then post that you have uh, counselors available for maybe not trauma and maybe not immediate, but just continuing of better health, mental health, and fitness. And the Tricare system, our military healthcare system, is overwhelmed. Outside of that, you start going to programs called Military One Source, which try to offer relief for, you know, 12 sessions um, outside of the, um, the, 
the TRICARE system outside of the, the hospital, uh, military hospital care. Um, and they're also overwhelmed. <laughs> so you started to hear quite a bit of a discussion. So, so what do I think needs to happen? Is I think at the end of the day, there's two things that need to happen. We need to continue to look for these resources. Uh, and two, we need to continue to be kind. It's gonna sound weird from a person that you know yelled at some guy for not having his uniforms right. <laughs> but I think being kind and listening as a leader inside the military is one of the things that we need to do. And we need to focus on it very, very, very hard. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand or realize how big the mental health need was inside the military, probably until I was a command master chief, until I started learning more about these programs and symptoms and things that people need outside of their everyday thing. And the idea that, you know, Petty Officer Jones, well, he's late to work today, his alarm clock didn't go off, go, get another alarm clock, you know, like, there may be more to that. There may be more of a discussion that we need to have because of that. Yeah. And um, again, that goes back to that takes time, that takes the investment as a leader and people learning how to do that. You have to teach people how to do those things. And uh, it starts with, I think, every command master chief, every master chief, every sailor sitting down and asking themselves, are they really taking the opportunity to ask someone how they're doing or are they just having a, response does that make sense yeah yeah completely and um yeah i mean i and i've experienced some of the uh you know the overwhelmed uh system you know i was seeing a i've hired and fired many therapists at the at the va till you find the the right fit or when you do find the right fit and you start finally opening up and feeling comfortable they leave you know for sure and uh or, or they get burnt out and, and and it's like we got to do more to take care of the people taking care of our people, you know, as well. For sure. Um, one thing that uh, has been part of my journey that's helped me s tremendously with, uh, you know, my uh, uh, anxiety. Like, I mean, I I had like really, I mean, when I don't know, you know, I mean, I I diagnosed with PTSD and and anxiety and and um, you know, I think a lot of that was a lot of reason why I leaned on my my crutch of uh, alcohol and drug use um, back in the day. But, um, you know, being able to, you know, I enjoy live music and being able to go to shows and those crowds and those festivals uh, could get overwhelming. You know, when I got sober, it's like I didn't have any of my 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 crutches to lean on, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're trying to enjoy the show, but then there, you, you need to disappear off into some space or whatever. But I know one thing that's been helping me to be able to communicate better with people and um, get out there more is uh, doing this. This is a form of therapy for me. This is something that, uh, you know, um, a lot of people, oh yeah, you know, think I'm trying to be Joe Rogan or something. The paycheck would be nice, but uh, you know, this is just something that I I'm, I'm, it's helping me when I have these discussions, but I also trying to put it out there. So it has opportunity to help others. And, um, that's why I like to ask some of the questions I ask and get into the things that I get into. But speaking of the music festival life and, uh, you know, 
All right, Danny Hayes, if you've been watching, I hope you uh, appreciate I appreciate your patience. Uh, but uh, let's talk about what you're doing now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you mentioned uh, it was through the DOD, the the, the SkillBridge program. You want to share a little bit about? <clears throat> yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to talk about that. And I just want to tag in your discussion about um, mental health, a program that I'm participating in. And if you have had any trauma-based um, uh, incidents while you're in the military, something that is free, it's called Headstrong. Uh, and it's headstrong.org. You can go on there. It's a free program. It's another resource. Uh, please go check it out. Um, I'll shoot you, uh, Bill, the link. I don't know if you put notes in the uh, YouTubes afterwards. Maybe we can list it there for you. Um, but um, what am I doing now? So <clears throat> the Department of Defense has a program called uh, Military Skill Bridge. It's around since 2014. And what it is is you are TAD or your temporary assigned duty. I'm not sure other branches say that word, but that's what you are, temporary assigned duty for 180 days away from your command, uh, the last 180 days uh, that you're in the military, either retiring or separating to a skill bridge approved or DOD approved uh, organization slash employer with the hopes that they're gonna train you in um, skills or take the skills that you have and use those to move you forward into a position with inside that company's uh, walls is, is the one way to say it. Um, so how did I become part of Danny Wimmer Presents uh, is, was our question, I think, when we had it met at incarceration. Incarceration. Uh, yeah. That's right, incarceration. Um, <clears throat> phenomenal festival, by the way, uh, Mansfield, Ohio, at the Shawshank Redemption Prison Absolutely wonderful experience. We had about 25,000 people there, uh, just for your awareness. Uh, and I am there with you with the anxiety with all those people there. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of people. Uh, great festival, great events, uh, great, 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 great all the way around. So um, I was pursuing LinkedIn.com on my year of free premium because I'm retiring slash separating. Uh, again, something you can check out through LinkedIn or going to your transitional uh, transition assistance program through your local fleet family support center or my Navy center or the um, Air Force Center. Um, the Skillbridge opportunity to come up and go to Skillbridge with Danny Wimmer Presents popped up and it was a job description that talked to me about being a um, event uh, operations ma uh, manager is the best way to describe it. So I'd be responsible for interacting with vendors and interacting with um, staff and labor and troubleshooting and solving problems and negotiating contracts. And uh, basically when I read the job description, it said, you're going to be pulling a ship into port and you're going to be negotiating everything you need to do and set everything up and run the divisions that are responsible for these things. And then you're gonna get back on that ship and you're gonna depart in four days. And I was like, sold. It sounds like a great opportunity. So I uh, submitted my resume to Danny Wimmer Presents and I got to speak to um, Danny Hayes uh, and we had a great conversation. I got the opportunity to meet all the department heads for Danny Wimmer Presents. And uh, about the third conversation in, I won't mention who said it at Danny, uh, Danny Wimmer Presents, but I thought it was great. 
And I asked this question. I said, hey, why do you do what you do? And, you know, it was a question designed to kind of see where their head was at. <clears throat> and uh, they said, well, at the end of the day, um, I like providing an escape. I was like, wow, say that again. Like, I want the person that comes to our experience and that comes to our festival to be able to be, this is what they're focused on. This is it. They're not worried about whether or not the cat's sick or whether or not they've got dinner ready on time or if Jill is going to make the, uh, you know, honor roll or if their fashion's appropriate for the event at. I want them to be excited and planned to escape into this event for the next three days. And this is what they're thinking about. Nothing else. Because when I want to relax and recharge, that's what I do. I want to escape and I want to go enjoy myself. And that's what I want. And I was like, I, I'll buy that for all day. Yeah, and that's a passionate statement. And they have a group of about 40 professionals at Danny Warren Presents and the office itself uh, that have almost identical statements. And it's there is an ethos for sure, but that's not the discussion. They all have some perspective of that. And uh, that, that to me is attractive. And I want to be part of a team that wants and is that passionate about that discussion. Um, and I think if you saw, you know, Sunday's events, uh, of, of that festival, you know, I was out there shoveling mulch uh, to make sure that people were safe in front of the front stage and Danny Wimmer and Danny Hayes and the other department heads were standing right next to me with buckets of mulch, making sure mulch was laid down so people were not getting injured and that we were able to listen to Lamb of God. Um, we're on the ADA stage, dewatering the ADA stage in rain that I've probably only seen once or twice in my life. We're out there making sure that people are safe and having an experience of their lifetime because they paid for it. And we want to give them every ounce of that dollar, every ounce of it. Um, and it, and uh, I'd be honest with you, I'm hundred percent hooked after, after that experience. Yeah. I, um, I've been coming to some of uh, his festivals for, for a number of years now. Um, you know, I'm here in Ohio and they've had uh, rock on the range in Columbus, which ended up becoming Sonic temple. And, um, you know, I would just see a little bit of behind the scenes, but what I always loved and respected is like rock on the range would usually be on armed forces day weekend. Mm -hmm. And he always included, you know, I mean, well, I know they always offer like discounted tickets for military, um, they always, you know, have something special. Like the, I, I, I was there when Nita Strauss from Alice Cooper played, you know, the Star Spangled Banner on guitar, you know, and they had a full, you know, dress Marines up there with the flag and, you know, um, talk about an escape. The first music festival back after being locked down because of COVID was incarceration last year. And it was on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 at, at Mansfield there. And uh, it was like going to a retreat, man. You know, it was like, 
I, I, it was amazing. And they did, you know, they honored the, the, the 20th anniversary of nine 11. And <clears throat> no matter what, I'll just say this, no matter what, some of the things get pushed out on, on, on the news or TV and all this fear and division and this, that, and the other, when that, when they came, I mean, and, and here's all these caged animals finally getting out, let loose bunch of metalheads at a show. Everybody's raging, having a good time. But then when the announcement came, let's have a, a moment of silence for those we lost on September 11th, you could hear a pin drop. Those thousands of people stopped doing what they were doing, stood up, paid attention. And then when she came, the girl came out and sang the national anthem, man, hands on the hearts, hats coming off. You know, I had tears running down my eyes because it was just like, man, if I believe everything I watched on the news, this, you know, our country's lost, man. But if right. anybody there, it, it was it was amazing. And Danny Wimmer makes sure that those things are included. He's, you know, I've respected that um, about his organization and his events so much, you know, as, as a veteran, um, that, uh, you know, I feel that escape. I feel that they, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that don't know, don't know. And they, you know, they'll find everything to bitch about, but you know, when I had the opportunity, like I said, I, I talked to, got to talk to Danny Hayes and shake his hand and he connected us. And then I saw Danny Wimmer. I, I went and I told him, I said, man, you know, I told him how much, I appreciate, you know, what, what he does there. And I've heard that even, I remember there was issues with like the uh, buses last year and, and Danny Wimmer was out there helping direct traffic and, you know, he's hands-on and that's, that's the, you know, leadership that we get behind, you know? For sure. And, you know, the thing that I think is probably the most impressive is that it is, it is echoing. It's not just one person, right? It's, it's a, it's an entire group of people that are dedicated like that. You know, it wasn't, it's not, hey, go join me. It's, oh, okay, well, there's there's something, let's go take care of it, you know what I mean? Uh, I think at that concert, for example, I was there, you know, filling up hand pump stations uh, with a hose water. It was just something that was needed to happen, so we did it. And on the other side, I've got, you know, two other guys that are doing the exact same thing. That's not our jobs, and we're there doing other things, but at the end of the day, we're sitting there like, oh no, like we want the fans to have the best experience possible and dirty hands, not part of it, you know? So um, yeah. no is, is directing us. And so I, I, at the end of the day, am very lucky and very uh, excited that I have an opportunity to seek out, you know, a program like that. And to note, Danny Wimmer uh, Presents is going to be bringing on more skill bridge opportunities available. So um, you can reach me for sure uh, to talk about those things. And I'll give you my uh, email so you can post it up um, and we can work through that. But it's a, it's a, it's an incredible experience. Uh, I think uh, having this program, having command support this program at the end of the day are, are going to make the big difference. Uh, you know, from my perspective, being a command master chief, going to not being a command master chief uh, is, is challenging. Uh, yeah. But, you know, having a company, not no one walks around calling me command master chief. Thank everything holy for that. Um, <laughs> but I get called Pat and I get to go, you know, interact with the company and understand how uh, a company looks at things and how a civilian group looks at things. And it's, it's, it's a great experience and I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And Danny Warren presents is a, is a 
perfect place for me to land. And I'm super lucky that I got it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 uh, remember when we were introduced to, you know, my, uh, it, it just, you know, it, it just fired back up. I was like, yeah, master chief. Yes. Master chief. Great <laughs> You're like, call me Pat. And I'm like, all right, all right. You know, old habits, you know, but uh, oh, I it, get was, you. it was, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, um, you know, I mean, I've had even outside and, uh, you know, you talked about bad habits earlier and I picked up quite a bit of them and, you know, I got no one I can point fingers at other than myself of uh, maybe where I could have been in my Navy career that I didn't reach because I chose to, you know, um, chase addictions or whatnot. And, or, but um, no matter what my journey has taken me, I've still had this opportunity to be able to be where I was at, at that festival to get introduced to you. And mm -hmm. I'm just extremely grateful. They've, they're always, everybody there is just always so, uh, hospitable. I'm, I'm so happy for, uh, Dan, my buddy, Dan Jansen, who's a partner with incarceration. Mm -hmm. He's somebody that, you know, I came up with here in, in Cleveland. Um, you know, I was a concert promoter for, a uh, number of years back in the day and, and me and Dan started around the same time. And, you know, like I said, I, I kind of went into my bad habits and he stayed focused and now he's partnered with Danny Wimmer, you know, at the festival, but you know what, I'm, I still get to be there and have, have a good time now with 13 years of sobriety. And, you know, I didn't burn too many bridges. So um, no. yeah. I'm grateful for, the uh the journey and uh man if you know uh if if there's anything i can ever do for that organization i appreciate them and i i'm, I'm on top of it so when danny hayes said hey i got a guy for you um i was excited and the more i've gotten to know you it's it's made it even better i know i i got a uh a, a shipmate and friend uh out there in, in california or you know um and hopefully you'll be a part of that team and I'll see you at, at the festivals going forward. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, we have a couple of festivals coming up, uh, both in Louisville, Kentucky. We have Bourbon and Beyond, which is going to be a four-day festival in September. And then Louder in Life. Uh, and if I was choosing between the two, which I get the question now all the time is, how do you choose which festivals to go to? I don't. <laughs> I get to go to both of them. But Louder in Life is going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be the 22nd through the 25th uh, in Louisville, Kentucky at the KEC Center, and it is going to be awesome. Um, if if you're a camping guy and you've got an RV, I tell you what, I think that's that's the way I would attack it. Oh, Me, yeah. For sure. I mean, something to check out. So go check out the camping stuff they have on the website. Both those uh, websites are real basic, bourbonandbeyondfestival.com and then lotofthelifefestival.com, and you can go check them out. But um great lineups really gonna be good so yeah i've been wanting to do the louder in life for a number of years now and mm -hmm. um i think it, it's just uh you know like i i was sharing with you my uh, when we were talking at the festival my youngest just graduated high school so now it's mm -hmm. like you know i've been a single dad for a number of years but now i think i got the freedom to start making some of these and mm -hmm. rv is something i definitely want to invest in so i can uh make the trips. Cause that's been the problem too, is just like, okay, I go down there, but then where do I stay? You know, 
Yeah. And, and those plate, the hotels and everything around there sell out pretty quick. So if you don't know anybody or you don't have, you're not bringing your own home on wheels or whatever for the mm -hmm. camping, uh, you're out of luck. But I, I hope to get there at some point. You know? I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's going to be a great event. I'm very excited about it. Um, it'll be great to see Kentucky. I'm excited to see how all the hard work that we've been putting in uh, over the last year is, is going to develop. I mean, we have a pretty phenomenal team, not patting ourselves on the back, but we got a good team. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, it's, it's going to be great um, for sure. Nice. Um, yeah. So great team. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of envious, you know, I wish I would have known about the, like a skill bridge program, but when I was uh, getting out, I mean, most of when I retired, I was coming out from the reserve side though. So probably mm -hmm. don't know if those opportunities, uh, were there, but, uh, if there, if there was ever, like, if I ever had to get a, a job again, you know, it'd want to be, I'd want it to be in an environment like, like you're at with those guys. So yeah. For sure. It's very supportive, good environment, um, hardworking. Tell you what, uh, yesterday I was there at least 14 hours. Um, and then, you know, transit time to and from home, but uh, hard work, <laughs> a lot of hard work, a lot of Excel, uh, but all worth it because, you know, I can see the things that were coming together. I'm excited to see how Louder's, uh, you know, um, how the setup is going to impact the fans. Like, you're going to get more viewing surface. You're going to have a larger stage. You know, you're going to have more angles that you can like all these things that go into how a stage is laid out. Just it's mind blowing. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, like what they say though, if it's, if you love what you're doing, it ain't work, you know, yeah, for so, sure. For sure. Um, and it sounded like, you know, you definitely loved your time in the Navy as well. So I, was, um, I did, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Um, like I said before, you know, some of the hardest times are probably the most memorable because they're the most challenging and some of the easy times I've probably forgotten, but, uh, all in all, it's an amazing experience. I'm blessed that I, uh, was entrusted to, to do the job. Yeah. Um, I wish I would, I got an opportunity to serve with you, but, uh, maybe, you know, in some other capacity, we'll, sure. uh, keep in touch. Um, before we get ready and wrap up, I want to ask you some of the questions that I normally ask the guests that I have on since we sure. got into the music uh, part of things. Who are your top three musical artists? Uh, so top three musical artists, uh, and I I would say at the end of the day, I'm still a ginormous Grateful Dead fan. Um, so Grateful Dead has to be in there. I've become quite a bit of a stoner doom metal guy. And I consistently find myself going back to um, a band called Kairos, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, but they're tied with another band called All Them Witches. And then finally, um, soft reveal, I love Judas Priest. Love Rob Halford. I'm a huge fight fan. Uh, Rob Halford by himself, his double live album was phenomenal. Uh, and of course, all the Jews Bruce albums. So those top three are where I'm at. Nice. And then uh, is there a particular song that you feel has been an inspiration in life that's like a go-to uh, in your playlist that never gets old and, and always something that, you know, if you're going through a rough time or whatever, you could throw on and kind of picks you up? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's a, a pickup song, but it's definitely um, – uh, 
a song that causes me to reflect. And I, I think I talked a little bit about earlier is I like to do like 45 minute to hour walks. And the reason I walk is I can't run anymore. Um, I used to be a big endurance runner. Um, so it is a Grateful Dead song uh, and it's um, Uncle John. Uh, and so the interesting part about it is it's off uh, Working Man's Dead. It was the first time the Grateful Dead got the opportunity to really, they did play with their music a lot, but got to play a lot with the recording part of it. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting song because it's uh, Garcia saying the intro and it's been redubbed, like relayered itself like 36 times. So it sounds like angels singing, when in fact it's kind of a chubby guy with a beard uh, singing, so <laughs> I like it. Nice. And what's the last book you read? Uh, I just uh, finished a book uh, called um, it is about communication and it is introverts and how they communicate. Uh, a friend of mine is a really big introvert and gave it to me because I'm more of an extrovert. Um, and learning more about how introverts communicate and how they struggle with communication uh, has helped me quite a bit. So nice. And then um, you, we you mentioned, I think you touched a little bit on, on it, your morning ritual uh, and routine to have your best day possible. What? How do you like to start? Uh, so my best day possible has started probably the night before by going to bed like I'm supposed to. <laughs> uh, I struggle with a lot of sleep issues. And so making sure that I follow my rule of going to sleep is tough. I do it. So starting there uh, in the morning, I get up, um, turn off my alarm, make my wife coffee, brush my teeth. And I grab a bottle of water or, you know, a 12 ounce bottle of water, slam that. And I'm either headed to go work out in the gym in my garage, or I go for a walk for about an hour. <coughs> um, so the biggest thing I've discovered is by avoiding any media, like mm. old computers you have in your hands or whatever. Um, music, I can, I can do pretty easy because I can just turn on Spotify and go for it. Um, but like looking at like Instagram, Word documents, Outlook, all that stuff just kind of takes me off track and then I don't accomplish my goals. Mm. So I get that done and back to the house, get my ladies ready for school or camp, uh, whichever one they're going to, and uh, off we go. That's my day, man. Nice, nice. Yeah, I have to, I have to, uh, you know, do be more cognizant of that too. You know, it's like uh, I try and like before I get out of bed, I try and like uh, you know being in recovery and and trying to keep my connection with my higher power and stuff. I always try and read some devotionals mm -hmm. when I get up in the morning, and you know it makes it easy when there's an app on your phone to read these devotionals. But I'm picking up the phone, and I got to make sure I'm going directly to those apps that, that I'm, I'm intending to to mm -hmm. feed my brain with because sometimes I get caught up in the other. And then, like you said, then all of a sudden, you know, my, my day's just like already off to a rough start. So that's, that's the thing. Or maybe I just, you know, I still actually have old fashioned devotional books next to my yep. bed. Maybe I should just pick those up, read those and then go about my, my day. Um, 
and worry about the the app ones maybe later on after I'm already maybe that could be like a halfway recharge point or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely good something for me to think about. Um, who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today? Um, so I can credit uh, a gentleman by the name of Jess Medina. Uh, I can credit uh, my father, and then I can credit uh, my my wife. Um, and all three of them have probably the same stern tie, which is you need to go invest in yourself to be the best for us. And so obviously I'm married to my wife. Uh, Jess Medina is my best friend. Uh, and then my father, you know, being the best son I can be for my father is that's a, that's a real task, right? Like it's a real goal. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I thought that it was interesting with a little bit of reflection that that would be, those are the people that have been the, the most demanding of me being the best version of me. Gotcha. And then um, what would you want your legacy to be when you're no longer, when Pat Otis is no longer here on this, in this world with us? Um, that well, I would like my legacy to be that people never forget the face of their father, which is the idea that you have a responsibility for the name that you have and that you have to represent that with honor, which means you have to make clear and concise decisions in advance before you do something. Hmm. Man, that's some advice I could have used back in my uh, early 20s. <laughs> same thing same but, thing that's why i give it now <laughs> hopefully yeah. someone will hear it and be like i'm gonna do that but uh thankfully you know uh before my my father passed you know i was able to receive that blessing from turning my my life around you know and uh and and i always try to still to this day you know honor his his memory and legacy so um good good advice uh favorite toy as a child uh, favorite toy as a child, uh, I would have had to have said would be either a BB gun, uh, or a slingshot. Nice. I had those two. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, I didn't shoot my eye out, just maybe a couple yeah. people's windows that I shouldn't have, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're. So with Skillbridge, you haven't retired yet. You're basically still Correct. on, you know, active duty. But uh, what message do you have for our military brothers and sisters that are currently serving overseas? Uh, so I think the most simple message I could say would be be kind to your shipmate, your battle buddy, your um, wingman. and be violently loyal to them, which means execute violence at the time of violence when the enemy presents violence. Amen. Well, uh, man, Pat, it's been great talking with you. Thank you for the giving me this time. Uh, I think we had a hell of a 200th episode here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm glad I, you know, honored that you were, the man for this. And I look forward to, uh, 
you know, keeping in touch and hopefully catching you at a, at, at Danny Wimmer event in the future. Absolutely. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, before I let you go, um, would you mind cutting a promo ID for the show? Absolutely. And usually, I mean, and, and you are still active. So if you could do this for me right now, introduce yourself at, you know, at your rate mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're listening to today's boondoggle. Okay, one sec. Hello, this is Command Master Chief Patrick Otis. You are listening to today's boondoggle. Thank you, Master Chief. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. I appreciate the time, man. And, and uh, like I said, I'll definitely keep in touch. And uh, if I can make it, if I could somehow swing down to, to Louisville for a lot of life, I'll hit you up. Absolutely, man. It would be a pleasure to have you there. Because now in the next two weeks over at the Coast Guard Commissary, they'll be having their annual liquor sale. Okay. Last year, they had ATF, they had sheriffs, they had Cleveland police, they had everybody out there and they were scanning cars, scanning license plates as the cars going in and seeing if anyone was a bar owner you know, watching where they were, what they were purchasing. But we're smarter, man. I don't yeah. own a bar. I just sell to them. Right. I see the guy with the drop it off. You must have 80 bottles of Crown on it. Oh, yeah. The big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, he's going to have more. 80. Oh, yeah. At least it was well, I went up there one time. I went up there one time. A guy from Lake Erie said, Hey, can you get crown? I said, Yeah, it's a matter of fact, it's on sale. They have to buy it. Well, it was a $10 rebate from the distributor bottle. They're not allowed to buy it from the. And then if you bought six bottles, they gave you another $20 rebate. I bought like four cases. And I got like one case for free. Yeah. Great so there's no problem. Of their, oh, of their batch. I find it doesn't meet their standards. Mike is doing good. 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 Mike is
And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall. Brought to you by today's Boondogger. Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our website, domaincle.com or todaysboondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.